0: So if you normally attend a Baptist church and you just happen to be here today, you can go ahead and leave now, okay, if you would like. I guarantee you we're the only church in America doing smoke on the water this morning, okay? Don't you love this place? I mean, I love it. I'll get to this in a minute. But, you know, we we don't make a sacred, secular distinction when it comes to art. If a, if a chair's built built, by an atheist, and it's a really good chair. I would buy that chair before I'd buy if I'm a Christian chairmaker who makes bad chairs, wouldn't you? And there's there's good art, and there's bad art, there's truth, and there's falsehood in art, but there's no... So I love it. I tell the team this. I said, I love it when we can mix silliness with sacredness, and hopefully when you leave here today, you'll feel like, yeah, that was fun silliness, but there is a sacred reality as we're in the fifth part of our series on Revelation, the, the Revelation of John, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're glad you are with us. So does anybody know who, uh, who, what, when the first NFL game was actually played? Anybody know? October 3rd, 1920, the Dayton Triangles played the Columbus Panhandles wasn't exactly Chiefs and Buccaneers, the nickname quality back then, but uh, yeah, and uh, I just think it's such a cool thing in our city that we had the first NFL game and you can go down to Triangle Park, but the reason I'm wearing this today and not a Browns jersey is because uh, everything that City Lights is about is ultimately pointing us all in the direction of the geometric shape of our original football team. Everything we 're about is about a triangle, and I want you, uh, healthy triangles and I want you to to say, "Okay, what does that mean? You have to go to a kiosk today and talk to one of our city pastors and find out what that means What does that mean for you that everything it's about is about this shape, and we would love for you to do that we um you know it's been an extraordinary year and and uh uh my heart is really heavy today because I lost a friend to COVID this week, and uh, we lost uh, a friend to COVID this week. Back in 2008, I started, I, you know, I wanted to finally stop playing basketball because, you know, when you're 47, you ought to just stop playing basketball probably. And, uh, but I, I just always wanted to play tennis, so I started playing tennis at South Regency in Springboro, and uh, as with me, I don't do anything halfway, so I started playing tennis eight days a week. And... And as much as I could, and there was a guy there who used to work. He retired from General Motors, the assembly plant in Moraine, uh, after 39 years. And uh, we just struck up a friendship. And he played with the old guys three days a week, but he also cleaned the courts three days a week. That gave him a free membership. And... uh, we, we, you know, I, I just started playing, and he was 70, so that was a good match. Uh, so he, I'd say, hey, Mel, I need somebody to hit with today. I need somebody to hit with today, and he, he would hit with me. And, and so we struck up a friendship, and he'd been away from the Lord for many, many years. Not, not in his heart, but he had not been a part of a fellowship. And uh, through our friendship, he came back to Christ through Southbrook, and he died this week of COVID at 80 years of age. And I'm really gonna miss him. He's a guy who had a funny dad joke, if there are such a thing as funny dad jokes. uh, And a story to tell, and he was ornery, and he was a grumpy old fart if you caught him on the wrong day. And uh, I'll never forget, back there in that back row, every Saturday night, Mel and Nancy are back there with, with their group. And it's just been a hard week because I'm gonna miss him, and yet, I believe in what I'm talking to you about today, that there is one who is the Alpha and the Omega, he is the beginning and the end, he is the firstborn from among the dead, and he holds the keys of life and death in his hand, and I get to talk to you about him today, and I get to show you one of John's pictures of him that is really cool. Anybody interested? And is there anybody here who right now you feel like you're losing in life? If you feel like you're losing, you came to the right place today. Tonight there will be a Super Bowl loser. Somebody has to lose. But there's a lesson as we connect the passage that is really about the four horsemen of the apocalypse with the fifth rider. Now I want to begin by just walking us through this statement right here. One God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event toward which the whole creation moves. Anybody know where that quote is? It's in the dome over the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. This is actually a huge part of, you know, we, we don't we breathe Christ's air as a country and we don't even know it. But one of the reasons for progressiveness in America is that everything was progressing toward this reality. That Jesus Christ is going to interrupt history again someday. Now one of the reasons I bring this up is because this text is about that in large. But also because uh, we are in this country, as I'm concerned about us as Americans reading Revelation we are very American-centric. We think the world revolves around us. Let's just be honest, we do. We think that every, and, and yes, America is the leader in the world, et cetera, et cetera, but we think everything revolves around us, so much so that we actually read Revelation through American eyes. As I said last week, there are some people who, when they see the eagle mentioned in, in Revelation, oh, that's America. Well, actually, no, it's not. Okay? We, think about this. We think the Super Bowl is the biggest sporting event in the world, don't we? I mean, we just think it's big. Is it? Not even close to the World Cup. Not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. It's big to us, but it's not even close. And so as we read texts like this, we have to take off our Western, linear, chronological, literalistic eyes. And we have to turn on the right side of our brain and see this with amazing imagination. I'm gonna give you two portraits. And the first one is bad news. So if you walked in there today and you were way too happy and you need someone to bring you down, I'm gonna bring you down in the next few seconds, okay? All right, I'm gonna bring you down. This is Revelation 17:3. John gives a series of seven revelations, actually, seven judgments. Revelation is not chronological. It says the same thing seven different times. And then right here in this middle one, he says, then the angel carried me away in the spirit. Remember, he's not in a realm of time and space. He's not in a literal realm. He's in a realm where he's trying to describe the indescribable In the will, into a wilderness. So this was always the place where God has forsaken. Wilderness is always. Jesus went into the wilderness. Uh, Israel was, was 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So this is always embodying. Okay, now the reader knows. Okay, we're going to God-forsaken territory for a few minutes here. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now, we already would have seen a woman who fled from a dragon, Revelation 12, carrying her newborn baby into the wilderness because the dragon wanted to consume and murder the baby, which is, you don't even have to be a theologian, know is Mary and Jesus. And this scarlet beast was covered with blasphemous names and had ultimate authority. That's what you would read with seven, the word of completion or perfection, and 10 horns, horns the power imagery. And so this, was a, this is an authoritative beast of immense power. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold. This is, this is representative most likely of a governmental power a kingly power, purple and scarlet and gold were the images, the colors of, of kingdoms, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead Mystery Babylon the Great. Now, a lot of prophecies in the Bible are dual prophecies, they, they represent something immediate and something far-reaching they represent something literal and something figurative this is this is right now what you're seeing is an impressionist painting of the adversary the devil but also most likely of rome the empire it was a euphemism used babylon the great in apocalyptic literature you could not be accused of creating an insurrectionist environment under roman authority because you literally didn't say Rome, but this is most likely who John is referring to, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And this is not picking on prostitutes. Prostitution was the forced reality of a world where values had been distorted, right? You could sell sex. And so the abominations of the earth, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. So we're seeing another reality that God is going to judge the world someday. Uh, that life doesn't have meaning because it ends. Life has meaning because there is accountability at the end. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, this is the passage, this, this section of Revelation includes the four horsemen of death and pestilence, etc. The pale rider is mentioned in the four horsemen. Clint Eastwood is actually in Revelation and, and these four horsemen that represent the corners of the earth are going to be under the judgment of God, Then that represents those who have not brought their life under the authority of God. Now, why do I say that? Because the whole picture is this picture. It's this picture. I like the way Ben Patterson, the writer, put it. We should not take it personally when we're attacked or tired or depressed. Things like that go with the territory. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Now, I want to say a couple things on this. One is that look at that. I I love how he phrased it. When we're attacked, like somebody insults us, somebody attacks us physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, or we're tired or depressed and life is hard, this is the human condition because of a spiritual battle, but also this, also this, many times through the years, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I'm under spiritual attack, and that may be the case, because all of us from time to time, I believe, are, but this is why our counselors will sometimes tell you this, let's get a physical first, because we found definitely through the years that, hey, pastor, I got a physical, my potassium was low, Satan isn't after me anymore, and, and you know we're a triune being we are we're a body a mind and a spirit we're, we're all and those the, the, the body affects the mind the mind affects the soul spirit and the, these realities affect each other so if today you're feeling like there is something really wrong with me i know it's satan who is after me it may very well be but let's get a physical let's get a physical it may be both but let's get a physical and so for years, I battled just why am I tired? And, uh, and then I got I, Debbie Serenius, who is a nutritionist. She told Sherry, she said, you know, you really need to make sure he gets his numbers checked with regard to his thyroid. My thyroid wasn't working. My thyroid, it was, it was, it was better as a pastor to say, I'm under spiritual attack. Because, you know, I'm so special that he really goes after me a lot. You know, but, but it was actually, I, my thyroid didn't work which can create depression and all. So every day I, I take a pill. I take a pill. And I tell Cher, I said, you know, the side effects of this pill is you got to watch more sports or else, you know, I mean, I, I, don't, I just, that's the side effects. I mean, I don't understand this is the way it is. And, and so, I mean, the day I started taking the thyroid pill, the sky was bluer, the grass was greener, the air was clearer, and I feel like I'm cheating now. I do. Get that checked first, okay? But here's the other thing. There is a terrorist, and that's the imagery. I think, what's the imagery that if John were writing today, he would, he would use the imagery of a terrorist? Think of someone who just, you know, I mean, literally think about this. There are people in this world who want to kill your children because they're Americans. Now, that's reality. Think of Satan as the ultimate terrorist. He'll wait 10, 15 years if that's what it takes to pull that off. He'll wait. And the message of Revelation is, it's, this is not just you against Rome. Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That this is a really big deal, what's happening. And the ultimate stage isn't America. The ultimate stage is actually in the heavenlies. So if your life is hard, it may be low potassium, but it may be that you the reality that you are facing is the reality that we're all under. We are opposed There is an adversary, revelation, if it communicates anything, it communicates that this world is not a playground, it's a battleground. So a soldier, if a soldier is on a battlefield, a soldier doesn't, you know, when a bullet goes whizzing by, a soldier doesn't go, hey, was this something I said? No, a soldier understands that you're on a battlefield, what? There's going to be bullets that fly your way. And so high schoolers, this is why high school is hard. It's not because your science teacher is a bore. It's not, be, it's not just because of social media. There is an adversary who wants to destroy you and he'll wait. The stakes are so high. How many of you know you lost your soul in college? Because we like to present this idea in America that college is a playground and you just kind of go and you sow your wild oats. And and many of you know, wait a minute, time out. There was more going on there than me just having fun. It was, I lost my soul there. I, I left the authority of God when I was in college. And so this to me is is helpful because I'm like you, I'm tired. Most days, I can literally feel the stress in my body. And if I kept going that way without learning through prayer and meditation and breathing, et cetera, to manage that, that there's an adversary who would delight in taking me down. I was in my office the other morning and I was doing a breathing prayer exercise where I breathe in certain things from God and breathe out. And I evidently was doing it so enthusiastically that Sherry walked into the room. I think she thought I was having a heart attack. She goes, what? what's going on? What's going on? Now, you know, life's bad when you're praying and your wife's worried. OK, but I know this. I say that because I'm, you, most of you are there and you think you're the only one. And there is an adversary who'd like for you to bail on your coveted commitments, your your covenants with your spouse, your covenants with your your family, your covenants with your church, your covenants with, with your neighbor, the commitments you've made. And I say to you today, wait, there's a fifth horseman. There is a fifth horseman. There is a reality in this world That is a reality that this is so cool because, again, if you see Revelation literally, you really lose its power actually. But when you see there is a reality in this world that is going to consummate history someday, and this horse beats four horses. This horse, that's a four horse quality of a judgment and pestilence and death and disease. Oh, this horse beats the four horses. It's just so beautiful. Now, I got to say something here, real quick. One of the things that Revelation communicates is this beastly imagery, right? The beast, the scarlet beast, and the, the beast coming out of the ground, the dragon that is after the woman. And one of the questions that always comes up with Revelation is uh, this is the Antichrist. So you, do you know how many times the word Antichrist is used in Revelation? Zero. Zero times it's used in Revelation but when people read revelation one of the dangers of it is we 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 the 666 and the beast NSC. Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters, six letters, six letters. Oh, Ronald Reagan's the, the, the Antichrist. We just know it. And if you think that's crazy, they're actually there. I remember one time reading a site that thought Barney the dinosaur was the Antichrist. The purple kid's dinosaur was the Antichrist. I and mean, this gets nuts nutso with this. Mikhail Gorbachev. Anybody remember what was the distinctive physical characteristic of Mikhail Gorbachev? He had that birthmark on his head. Oh, that's the mark of the beast. Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist. And it gets nuts, this We've seen writings like this. There's no doubt the Antichrist has already been born. Firmly established in his early years, he will, after reaching maturity, achieve supreme power. There is no doubt he's already been born. That was written in the fourth century. And so we see things like this all the time. You know, Barack Obama is the Antichrist. Ronald Reagan is the Antichrist. We see that all the time. But remember this, John used the term Antichrist to describe something that was going on in his day. First John, he actually uses it three times and he uses it in one other place one time. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even how many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That means that people who acknowledge that well, what really what we have to agree on is that Jesus is the Christ. That's and we're gonna have differences in the Bible and differences in the interpretation, denominational differences, etc. Um my adage with that is, if you disagree with me, that's fine. You can be wrong, but uh, go ahead. As long as we believe, agree that Jesus is from God. But every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have now heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. This wasn't written way back in 2019 in the old world. This was written in, a, in the 80s, A.D. So the Antichrist is that which opposes the things of God, the restoration of God through the redemption of Christ. So anything that opposes the purposes of Christ in the world, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white white horse. This is all you need to know. You don't need to know who the Antichrist is. What you need to know in this spiritual battle is this. Is this reality. And we have a picture that we could show you. I actually planned on showing you of, of a literal rendition of this picture being painted here. But I decided not to show it because I don't want to ruin what's going on in your imagination as you read this. Um, this is what you need to know. That there are four horsemen against you. There's a four horse war. But there's one horse that's bigger and badder than the four horse put together. Anybody excited about that? Because look at this horse. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war on his enemies, on though on the antichrist. His eyes are like blazing fire. Not literally when you see Jesus in heaven, he's going to shoot fireballs at you. It's that his, his gaze, his, his sight can pierce through pretension and falsehood like a fire. And on his head are many crowns, many crowns, not one crown. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Many crowns. This is the symbol of authority. He is authority over authority over authority. And he has a name written on him that no one knows, but he himself. This is really cool. This is what I pictured. By the way, earlier in Revelation, one of the churches was told, hey church, I have a name wait, waiting for you, written on a stone that, that is your name, that no one knows but God. Do you know you don't even know your real name, that he knows your real name? And he's gonna tell you his, your real name when he gives you his real name someday? Isn't that cool? It's exactly what the reader would have thought about, was earlier being told, there's a stone waiting for me in heaven that has my real name on it. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood because this king did not come to conquer Rome, this king came to conquer evil by sacrificing his life. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now this is not a racial statement. This has incredible vivid imagery to the original readers. The original readers would have known that when a king came into a city in peace, he would come into a city on a donkey. Anybody, does that bring to mind anything? In the Passover week, what did he ride into Jerusalem on? He came on a donkey. i come to you in peace. Oh Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, how I would long to gather you in my arms. But when a king came into a city and he said, time's up, he came in on a white horse. He's not riding no donkey. He's riding a white horse. And his followers, that's you and me, those of us who said, I'm going to follow him, we're dressed because we've been washed clean through his blood. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, authority with which to strike down the nations, those realities opposed to his purposes, to his kingdom. And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and in his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What we want you to see today is you may be facing a one horse, a two horse, a three horse, or a four horse obstacle right now, and and, and you are under it. But if you follow the rider on the white horse, you... You can do this, here's why. Because what John is telling us is he's telling his audience, you may be losing right now, but you are going to win. We have seen the end and we know who wins. Imagine you're a fan and your heart and soul bleeds because your Super Bowl, your team is playing in the Super Bowl tonight. Imagine your team is playing in the Super Bowl You just, you know, for some of you, it's easier to imagine that than others of us in the room right now. But you're worried because your team's down 14 early. But you're not too worried because you were given a clear, clear vision of the outcome and the final score of the game. That's the revelation of John. John says, you guys are losing right now. I know it, I know it, I know it. But you hang on, you hang on to Christ. You keep following him because I wanna show you the final play. I wanna show you the the final score. And in the end, there is one king and there is one Lord. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee, every, every tongue. And he comes to us on a donkey now. And John says, the next time he comes, He is the rider on the white horse. And if you today feel like you're losing, just get on your horse and follow the rider on the white horse. Just just say today, I am a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ and you will win. But here's the other question who are you following? The other question is, who has authority over you? Because you see, to be a follower of Jesus isn't, yep, you know, when I was eight days old, I got baptized, I'm a Christian. No, that, that means, I mean, it meant you were raised in a Christian home, that's great. You have to decide, am I in the followers on white horses following the the writer who is faithful to Am I in that? Because I've chosen to surrender my life to his authority. John gives this imagery. He says, in his hand are many crowns. Have you given him your crown? Do you know you were born? You have a crown. You have your authority. You have your accomplishments. Have you given him authority over your life? Because that's what it means to be a Christ follower is he is the final say in my morality, my sexuality, my relationships, my finances, the decisions I make. I am following the one who is faithful and true. And I will follow him in life and I'll follow him into death because he has authority, he has my crown. I've given him my crown. One of those crowns on his head is my crown. Have you done that? One of the reasons that we use this imagery today of a remote control is you can walk into a home tonight and you know who's in charge because it's whoever has this in their hand, right? Like you can be in a home five minutes watching television and you know who either the control freak is or the, or the authority in the family because it's the person who has the remote control. I have to wrest this from Sherry's hand all the time because she's in charge. So, tonight, I want you to do two things. If you have a team you're rooting for and if they're trailing, I want you to just remind yourself I know who wins. I know who wins. It may feel like life's losing right now, but I know who wins. And I'm on his side, I'm on his team, I'm riding into his stable. But the other thing I want you to remember is tonight, when you're around with friends, family, whatever, socially distanced, whoever has the remote control, I just want you to have one time during the game where you look over and you think of this. If John were writing today, he would say these words, I think he would write this way. He would say, and his eyes are like blazing fire, and in his hand are many remote controls. (laughs) Many remote controls. My one of my grandsons, Gage, he he calls it a commote control. He just can't get it out of his head that it's a remote. He calls it a commote. So now in our family, give me the commote. And he, I just my my favorite things every once in a while I say, Gwamps, give me the commote. Give me the commote control. And I just want to remind you on this day of winners and losers. He's just asking you for the commode. Just give me and you can walk through this life and you will be an overcomer. And that is how I fight my battles. Amen.